Church, will you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts present here be pleasing to you. God, you are our rock. You are our redeemer. Amen. So Julie read to you from the children's Bible. Jim read to us from the big kids' Bible. I thought I would just give us a little bit more background on Pentecost and what it actually is. We just heard that part of the story from the book of the Acts of the Apostles. It was 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, Easter. Folks from all over were gathered in Jerusalem for the Jewish festival, the Feast of Weeks, commemorating when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. While these folks were gathered, we heard the story about this wild day when the spirit came rushing in. It sounded like a violent wind and looked like divided tongues of fire. And I am not entirely certain what that actually looks like, but it sounds absolutely bonkers. The gathered people all started speaking in their native languages, but shockingly, they all could understand each other. Some people were amazed by this, but others thought that they were drunk, which is a super valid assumption, I think. But then the apostle Peter raised his voice and reminded everyone that this is exactly what they were expecting and waiting for. He read them the prophecy that they had heard before, and Peter was moved enough by the Spirit to preach this amazing sermon that concluded with 3,000 people being moved enough by the Spirit and his sermon in order to be baptized. No pressure. But I got a baptism in even before my sermon, so that's pretty good. Pentecost is one of the biggest days in the church calendar. I have so many memories of this day throughout the years. Each one of the churches that I have been a part of have decorated the church in amazing ways. Look around, it's amazing. There's doves and fire-colored pyramids. A few times we gave out red ribbons to everyone when they arrived, and each time the word spirit was used in church that day, the whole congregation had to wave their spirit like this. It was a huge hit. My colleague once commissioned her youth group to make thousands of origami paper doves and hang them from the ceiling, leading from the sanctuary out the front doors of the church, symbolizing our renewed calling and commitment as Christians out in the world. During the pandemic, I got together a group of children of all ages and made a video of them with red, orange, and yellow scarves twirling around different places inside and outside the church saying, the spirit is coming. We used that video as the prelude for online worship during the pandemic. In seminary, my fellow classmates from all over the world led worship that day on campus, reading scripture and singing songs all in their native languages. At the church I served in Iowa, there was a member who paper macheed a dove and put it on the end of a huge wire. They led the choir processional that day, walking down the aisle as the dove soared across the entire sanctuary, dipping and diving on its wire. It was truly magnificent. My most favorite memory of Pentecost, though, was June 9th, 2019. 
on that day, the very small balcony of my home church in Hudson, Ohio was packed way over capacity with 80 high schoolers from the church I was about to go serve as their new pastor. The pews were also packed, participating in worship while I was ordained into Christian ministry in the United Church of Christ. That one was pretty hard to beat. Pentecost marks the birthday of the church. Up until that day, there was only a group of insiders that were proclaiming the message of Jesus. This is the day that the gospel message entered the hearts of the Gentiles. On that day, when the Spirit came rushing in with tongues of flame, 3,000 people were moved enough to dedicate their lives to walking in Jesus' footsteps, proclaiming the gospel message with their voices and actions. The growth of the church was set in motion that day. And each year, churches around the world celebrate this day and use it as a moment to reinvigorate our own callings as followers. We celebrate that the spirit is still alive and moving in the world in powerful ways. Just a couple weeks ago, when I was up in this pulpit, I asked the question, what even is the spirit? I said, sometimes it feels really mysterious and a little bit hard to grasp. But then this story about the spirit sounds kind of terrifying and also really amazing and awesome. A few weeks ago when I was describing times in our lives when we are both excited and scared, one of our beloved children of the church raised his hand and he said, I have a word for that. He said, it's skited when you're both excited and scared. That's what this very first Pentecost sounds like to me. Skited, very scary and also exciting. This story is wild for all sorts of reasons, but what jumped out to me the most reading it this time is just how different it is to how we usually talk about the spirit. How often do you hear your pastors, me included, gently saying something like, let's welcome the Spirit into our hearts as we pray? Or we invite the Spirit into this place or into this room or into this meeting. Someone once described the Spirit as a true gentleman. He never forces his way in and goes only where he's invited. I lament the gendered language, but the metaphor is true. Most often, we invite the Spirit to join us in whatever we are doing, assuming that the Spirit needs an invitation to do so. This kinder and gentler view of the Holy Spirit is indeed how most often it is described in Scripture. Remember the first story that we read today about Elijah? It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. The prophet Elijah was being very, very dramatic. You didn't hear that part. And this voice, only assumed to be God or the Spirit, says, Elijah, lay down and take a nap. And while Elijah is sleeping, the Spirit makes some pancakes on a hot stone right by his head. Elijah wakes up, eats the pancakes, and then goes back to sleep. And when he wakes up again, he feels better that's the miracle of a nap and a snack. <laughs> you can go test it out with the donuts after worship today. 
Anyways, so when he wakes up, the voice tells Elijah to go and keep his eyes and ears open for the spirit, for God to pass by. This is what we heard. The violent wind blows through and we expect it to be the spirit, but the spirit isn't in the wind. And then there's an earthquake and we think surely that's the spirit, but it's not. And then there's fire, but the spirit is not in the fire. And what follows is sheer silence. And in the silence, Elijah hears that still, small voice, a whisper. I think the spirit was probably present in the pancakes too, but that's a different sermon. In scripture, the spirit descends like a dove. The spirit is a gentle breath. The spirit is living water. The spirit is a still, small voice, but not today. On the day of Pentecost, this day, the Spirit needed no invitation. The Spirit busted down the doors. This was no tropical breeze. It was a Chicago gale, unable to be ignored. And for me, that picture is really hard to imagine because it is so different from how I experience the Spirit. Maybe you too. For me, the Spirit is less of a burning bush and more of a gentle nudge. It causes less of an aha and more of a, of course. And yet I know that I am not alone when I say that I wish God would show up loud and clear. Give me that burning bush. Give me that distinct yes or no. Do this definitely, don't do that. I wish the spirit was louder than the voices around me. I wish the spirit was louder than the voice inside my head. How often do we come to God begging and pleading that the right choice or decision would be made clear to us and all we are met with is a wall of silence? What we need in those moments is so much more than a whisper. We need God to fill the silence with a piercing word. And to that I say, silence can be really loud, can't it? Even the quietest of voices can feel like they knock you upside the head. There are so many kinds of quiet in this world. There's the silence of an empty room, the absence of sound and people, no breathing, no movement. And then there's the kind of silence when a room full of people becomes totally quiet. Or when a classroom full of high schoolers pull out their number two pencils, flip over the test and start furiously reading. There's the painful silence in a relationship when you have no clue if it's going to survive the hurt. Or you choose to be silent in order to hurt, intentionally giving someone the silent treatment as a lesson. And one of the loudest silences is the waiting room of an intensive care unit. But there's also those tender moments of silence, sitting on a couch with another person, feeling so close that words are not necessary. The comforting and knowing silence and the beautiful silences. The early morning with a mug of warm coffee looking out over the glistening still lake. For the most part, we live in a culture that is increasingly more uncomfortable with silence. 
Morning routines, bus rides, and commutes used to be full of people looking out windows, and now there's YouTube videos, TikToks, and podcasts. A friend went hiking last weekend, remarking about all the different types of birds she saw and heard, lamenting the fellow hikers who passed by, all with headphones on. Televisions lull people to sleep in living rooms and bedrooms alike. And the thing is, though, I don't blame us for our aversion to silence, because we know how loud it can be. These ancient stories of scripture describe it so perfectly, so vividly. With God, there is holy silence, and that silence is the skited kind, the scary and exciting kind. It has purpose to push our faith to the edge. Throughout the Bible, when people sit in silence, asking for God to speak up, they don't just leave feeling refreshed. It's not a Jesus spa day for them. When people sit to listen to God in scripture, they are moved, they are shaped, they are given directions, they are reminded of God's power. They are pushed to respond to God's love and care in very real and tangible ways. No wonder we are averse to it. When life seems to be going along just fine, why would we open ourselves up to this type of loud, holy silence that pushes us out of our place of comfort? You see, Elijah was not just being dramatic. He was literally scared for his life. He was hopeless. He wanted to give up hibernate for the winter in a cave on the side of a mountain. And he looked for God in the wind and in an earthquake and in fire, but instead he encountered God in the sound of sheer silence. And in that deafening silence, God gave Elijah something really scary and also exciting. God told Elijah about his calling and mission to bring justice to God's hurting world. And that calling and mission was a really heavy lift. It wasn't easy and it was filled with all sorts of twists and turns and mess ups and mistakes, but also beauty and grace and powerful, powerful change for goodness and love. We're headed into such a loud weekend, a loud season even, marching bands and parades and fireworks, concerts and outdoor movies ring throughout the city all summer long. I want to invite you into the silent moments, the quiet moments. Look for them, seek them out, turn off the TV, go outside without music or headphones, and I know that for a lot of us, that is very hard to find. Finding quiet is really difficult. But you know when the baby has been crying and crying and crying and she finally falls asleep and you wouldn't dare to fill that silence with anything? And you know when the power goes out at night and the first thing you notice is just how dark it is, but then the second thing you notice is just how quiet it is it might even wake you up from your sleep because it's so quiet. Silence is there. Silence presents itself to us. 
Beloved people of God, step boldly into it. What is God saying? What is the Spirit nudging you towards? What do you hear? It might be pretty skiting. May it be so. Amen.